Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Jumpcast, the podcast from the award-winning team behind Jumpcut Online. My name is Sarah Buddery and I am your host for today and I am joined once again by Barry Levitt and today we are talking about Lilo and Stitch from 2002 and this is, remind me what number 42. film, because I... There we go. I never remember, and I try to look at my Blu-ray collection, and every time it is incorrect, uh, because the UK has done weird things. <laughs> they really have. Um, but yeah, this is. I am looking forward to talking about this one, as I I think I say most weeks. But there is going to be a distinct dip in quality uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Not in our podcast. No. I might like to say they will. They will continue to be top-notch, but a, a bit of a drop-off in the quality of films uh, as we get further into the early noughties, mid-noughties. But this is, uh, this is a really fun and delightful film, but also one that has got some pretty serious stuff in it. So I think we're going to... I think this is going to be a, a good conversation. How are, you, how are you feeling about Lilo and Stitch? Yeah, I, I can't wait. This is... I think it's kind of become like a, a real favourite. Um, and it's mm. one that Disney still pushes quite heavily, um, which is cool mm-hmm. because a lot of the films in the 2000s are ones that when we get to and people listening will probably be like, what's that? I've never heard of Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> and to be fair, most people haven't, so that's okay. Um, but something like Lilo and Stitch has been, has been pushed um, still because of a certain character in this movie that is extremely beloved um, and extremely popular. Mm-hmm. It has spawned many things that I'll, I'll tell you all about and it's um it's become quite a uh sensation uh for mm. a film that was meant to kind of just be cheaper and fill in the gap and it's it kind of really blew up and i, I it's great and i think it's, it's it's so different from so many i think the 2000s are a really interesting time because despite the failures and or successes that happen um, a lot of these films are really trying to do something different um, that we haven't seen mm. in, in Disney, and, and Leland Stitch is no exception. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. it'll be a lot of fun to discuss, because it, it's a movie, quite frankly, that I adore. Um, mm. And I can't wait. Yeah, I, I, I do like this film. I am fully prepared for this to be like a Tarzan, Empress New Groove situation, where I start out liking the film, and then by the end of the podcast, I have, like really like it. I feel like um, someone should hire me as like <laughs> someone whose job is to like turn people who like are, are okay with something and then eventually but by the time they're like done therapy with me they'll love it. <laughs> yeah, you are Disney's official like hype man, cheerleader, <laughs> like whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I think it's like there's there's something in it though. I think that like when you hear someone speak super passionately about something that they really really love there's something quite infectious about it and i think that we've certainly seen that like reaction from our episodes as well where people have been like oh i listened to this and now it has like completely changed my mind on this film whether for good or bad so i think yeah hopefully we are we are doing the lord's work as they say and uh encouraging everyone to revisit these wonderful films and uh i'm ready i'm ready to uh love this film even more by the end of it um so i think it's time to get stuck into it because i know we're gonna have tons to say so i will not forget the imdb plot description this week because i've been very bad at that recently (laughs) (laughs) um so lilo and stitch uh is about a hawaiian girl adopts an unusual pet who is actually a notorious extraterrestrial fugitive that was a lot of big words to say in one go okay right 
uh it's over to you yeah tell us tell us all the things we need to know about lilo and stitch i'll try um, so we're looking at the mid to late 90s once again. This film came out in 2002, but we always have to go back just a little bit before. Um, and Michael Eisner is getting concerned, and not the only one, a bunch of Disney executives also are, are getting concerned that the Renaissance started so strong. You know, the, the first, or really from Beauty and the Beast to Lion King, those three films, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King, shattered imaginations as to how much money animated films can make and they did it back to back to back um but all of a sudden pocahontas is, has come out you know hunchback has come out um hercules has come out and they've no no none of these films have lost their money uh and none of these films have been a disaster by any means they've all been profitable profitable um but all of a sudden the, the profits just aren't anywhere close to what they were at the beginning of the 90s um and they're also looking towards what they have on their slate of development and they've got Fantasia 2000 uh, the movie that eventually became the Emperor's New Groove um, and Treasure Planet uh, our beloved space pirates that uh, Clements and Musk really want to make and will eventually in fact they do in our in our next episode um, but all these films are quite expensive especially um, Treasure Planet using all this uh, deep canvas technology and Atlantis using the deep canvas technology and these, these films that are coming up um, are really expensive, and if they're going to continue to not make a whole lot of money, then there's a problem. Um, so they decided to look back and kind of take a page from my favorite era of all era, the Golden Age, um, <laughs> and kind of deliberately go about making a film with a much lower budget, uh, similar to Dumbo in 1941. Um, so the execs approached Chris Sanders, who was one of the head storyboard artists at Disney and a co-writer of Mulan. Uh, and he was approached to pitch an idea, and he had just the thing. Um, he actually created the idea for the character Stitch all the way back in 1985, um, who was originally a character designed and pitched as a children's book, which was unsuccessful, and then there were some ideas of maybe turning it into a short film, uh, which were also unsuccessful, but it seemed that finally there was a chance to make something about this mysterious Stitch character uh, that could work as a feature film. So... You know, the kind of new goal was to set up and develop a concept that would feature him in a feature. Uh, and the story would require a remote, non-urban location. Uh, and originally, that was going to be Kansas. And it, that makes me think that I would really like a um, Wizard of Oz and Lilo and Stitch crossover. I think the world <laughs> doesn't know that they need it. But maybe if it happened, yeah. they realized they would need it. Then again, you'd have to recast <laughs> obviously everyone in, in the Wizard of Oz, so it probably would not be worthwhile, but but still. You could animate it. It could be fun. I, I, I'm into mm -hmm. it. Um, hear my pitch. <laughs> hear my plea. <laughs> Make it happen. Um, but what they eventually decided to do um, is go to the island of um, Ka I'll try my best. Kauai. Kauai. I don't know. They never, they never really say it in the actual thing. So I can't <laughs> tell you how to say it, but I'm doing my best. Um, Kauai. I'm just going to say Kauai because it's K-A-U a apostrophe I. I think that's pretty close. Uh, in the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, and no other film had ever taken place in Hawaii before. Uh, and it would be a really exciting opportunity to kind of take Lilo and Stitch in a new exciting direction. Um, so they got Dean DeBlois, who was the co-writer of Mulan as well. Uh, and he was brought in to co-write and co-direct Lilo and Stitch. Uh, the animation team visited Kauai extens extensively. And their tour guide kind of explained this concept of Ohana. Uh, 
which is funny because it's probably next to aloha the most well-known hawaiian term and that's almost certainly because of this movie um everyone from everyone who watched the film in the 2000s because they all watched lilo and stitch can tell you basically if you were born in the 90s or later you probably know that ohana (laughs) means family whether you have been to hawaii or not i have not um and that idea of Ohana really became central to the story in, in Lilo and Stitch. Uh, and the animators were faced with kind of an interesting task. And the story was going to be interesting because it would kind of, they would have really realistic aspects of employment and, and finances and social services and things like that. And combining these kind of financial struggles that a lot of Hawaiians were dealing with at the time, and there was a recent at the time in, in the early 2000s and late 90s and uh, economic downturn in Hawaii and, and the U.S. Um, so kind of talking about how they would deal with that while combining this kind of serene and incredible beauty that the islands possess. Uh, and they would get some voice actors for the, for example, the voice actors of David and Nani, uh, Jason Scott Lee and Tia Carrera, are both native Hawaiians, and they really worked with the writers to kind of rewrite the Hawaiian characters' dialogue, um, giving them a proper dialect and also adding kind of colloquial Hawaiian slang to make sure that the characters actually sounded like they were from Hawaii, which is refreshing. And we're going to talk, I think, a lot about that because there are a couple other films in uh, Disney's past where they set it in a certain location and it has nothing to do with that location. And I think it'll all, I think it's always fun to revisit those. Um, so it's nice to see that they, they kind of learn from their past mistakes. Disney's always kind of looking back to look forward um, and kind of looking back at those and, and thinking, you know, maybe the Aristocats didn't need to be based in Paris, but <laughs> if we're going to base Lilo and Stitch in Hawaii, we're going to make sure that it is at least as authentic as we can possibly make it. Um, so going back to this idea of making something that was less expensive, so to save money, uh, Disney would do something that it hadn't done since Dumbo all the way back in 1941. And that was to use watercolors again. We talked about uh, roughly 17 years ago when we did our Dumbo episode. (laughs) We talked about how um, watercolor was a cheaper and more cost-effective way of doing the backgrounds um, in animation. So they would use all, every single background that you see in Lilo and Stitch is done in watercolor. Um, And it doesn't allow for as much detail, but if you ask me, it fits the universe of Lilo and Stitch really well, and I can't really imagine it looking any other way. Um, and it fits particularly in these kind of child-focused and more simplistic kind of stories like Dumbo and Lilo and Stitch, which is not to insult these films, because both of those are among some of my favorite films. Um, but it just kind of fits that kind of mood of... of it, it, it wouldn't necessarily work in something like Atlantis or in one of these like big-budget epic sort of things, but it seems to work exceptionally well for a story like Lilo and Stitch. Uh, there were also limits on the kind of numbers of people per frame, which helped cut, co- which helped cut costs, um, as did limiting the special effects shots, or, you know, at least as much as you can when a pretty major plot point in your film is that there's an intergalactic alien that has appeared on the shores of Hawaii. So, you know, they did the best they could to kind of limit that while without preventing it from like not making any sense. They were still going to have um, CGI and they were still going to use um, spaceships and, and aliens and things like that, but they wanted to not go too overboard with it like they would do um, in the next film um, and, and they did in the previous film in Atlantis. Um, hand-drawn cells were colored digitally and the film largely avoids the really expensive and really timely, um, and by timely I mean it takes a really long time, not um, of the time, uh, but really... Um, expensive and takes a long time sort of style of deep canvas which is pretty much 
entirely in our next film. Um, and the execs decided to have the film produced in Orlando. This is the second of three Orlando studio-based films. The first was Mulan, and the last is Brother Bear. Um, and they managed to complete Mulan without going over budget, which is not easy to do for an animated film. So mm -hmm. they thought it would be perfect um, to place the film in the Orlando studio. Uh, and the music in the film is is quite unique. There are two original songs which were written by Mark Keali Ho'omalu and Alan Silvestri, who also did the film's score. Um, but the film largely features the music of Elvis Presley, who has five songs in the movie. Um, this includes a pop cover by the A-Teens, and that's the A-Star <laughs> Teens, just for a spelling clarification. Um, and Winona Judd also does a song, not an Elvis song, her own song, at uh, the end of the film. Um, so in the wake, this is, this is a pretty interesting thing, is they, they didn't run into too many difficulties in terms of making any big changes or things like that, and it's a far cry from kind of the crazy complications of something like Emperor's New Groove. Um, but the time this film was released was in 2002, um, June 21st, 2002 to be specific. So when, when they were working on it, 9-11 um, happened, and there was a sequence in the film that was going to be um, Stitch, Nani, Jumbo, and Pleakley hijacking a Boeing 747 and flying it through downtown Honolulu to save Lilo, um, which obviously, basically they kind of said when they were making the film, the day after 9-11 happened, they got together and said, what can we do to change this? There was no kind of debate of whether they should keep it. I think it was just kind of like a, this is a no-brainer that this has to be different. Um, but they did indeed change it, and, and what they did is they flew Jumba's spaceship instead, uh, through the mountains of Kauai. Uh, and they did this largely by replacing the CGI model of the Boeing uh, with the spaceship. And in a way, this is kind of one of the advantages of CGI. Instead of having to redraw every single frame, you can just kind of replace it with, with another CGI model. Obviously, it wasn't that easy, but it's a lot easier than redrawing every single frame. Um, and only a few shots had to be completely reanimated. So they were quite lucky, really. Um, there's also a little kind of weird change that exists between the UK version of Lilo and Stitch and the US version of Lilo and Stitch. Um, and in fact, the Disney Plus version of Lilo and Stitch is also different and in line with the UK one. Um, towards the beginning of the film, when there's that really funny but also really sad um, bit when Cobra Bubbles comes and, and kind of checks on the house and everything is going as wrong as it can possibly go. And then he leaves and Nani chases um, Lilo around the house. Uh, Lilo hides in a dryer in the uh, original version, which has since been edited out in the most recent UK releases. I'm not sure which version you saw. Um, but on, if you watch it on Disney Plus, what you would see is that she hides in the sort of commode that's like covered by a pizza box. Uh, and this was done to prevent kids from being inspired and not hiding in dryers <laughs> because it is not a safe place. If you're a child listening to this and you want to hide in a dryer, don't do it. It's a really, really, really terrible idea. Um, you <laughs> will regret it. Uh, so please, please do not do it. PSA. This was so. This so Disney made that change um, to prevent. Uh, kids from wanting to hide in a dryer um which is a, a very different <laughs> kind of decision tonally to the um switching of the planes but it just kind of shows you all the different things that um studios kind of consider but that was a decision that was made after the film's release and for a later uk release um and then eventually it made it to disney plus as well um so all in all when lilo and stitch was released it had a budget of 80 million dollars which sounds high 
Um, but if you think about it, considering Atlantis and, and you know Tarzan and films around it usually had a budget of between 120 to 150 million, uh, and then pretty much every other film in the 2000s has a much higher budget than 80. Uh, it's pretty low. Um, if you think about the last time they cut it, Dumbo was kind of like under a million dollars, but obviously that's 1941, and 2002 is very different in terms of inflation, in terms of cost of things. Um, but they did make a lot of money. In fact, they earned uh, $273.1 million worldwide, and it was definitely one of the biggest successes of the 2000s for Disney. Now, what's kind of crazy about Lilo and Stitch is just how much it continues to be well-received, and that's almost entirely um, because of Stitch. And I mean in terms of Stitch, in terms of the marketing, in terms of merchandise sales. Uh, Stitch is one of the most popular, perhaps even the most popular character in merch sales. Uh, he is all over the Disney stores. He's all over um, third-party licensing. There were three, count it, three film sequels. Uh, Stitch the movie, Lilo and Stitch 2, Stitch has a glitch, and Leroy and Stitch. Um, there was a television series that lasted for three years. There's a Stitch, there's an anime series in Japan called Stitch uh, that lasted for three years. There were two other TV specials. There's a Chinese animated series called Stitch and I that ran for um, a few months. Uh, there's also um, a manga it's called Stitch and the Samurai. Um, there is a also a live-action film that's apparently being made, but we can get to that and cry about it later. Um, but yeah, it just kind of shows you just how much this film has blown up, which is crazy considering this was a film um, that was meant to just kind of not necessarily it wasn't not it wasn't supposed to mean nothing and be nothing, but it was just kind of supposed to be a a kind of stopgap of a of a hopes and see if they could kind of spend less money and still make a lot um, of profit along the way. And they have, and this is the kind of film that keeps on giving, and that's kind of all because of Stitch. Um, now let's, I think we should, that's, that's kind of all I have to say, and I, I want to talk about, I think we should start off talking about the marketing for this film. Um, yes, because please. <laughs> I was going to kind of go into detail, but I think it's more fun if we talk about it. Because it is crazy, and they did. Uh, they had so much <laughs> fun um, coming up with with the marketing campaign for this one, um, and it's basically all about how Stitch is horrible, and like everyone else in the <laughs> Disney universe uh, is terrified of him. And I think it was a really clever thing. If you kind of go on like Wikipedia and look at the Google, if you like search Lilo and Stitch, it's probably the first poster that comes up. Um, but it's like a picture of Stitch in the middle, and then it's like loads of classic Disney characters. You have Dopey, Pumbaa, Rafiki, Belle, Beast, Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket, Tinkerbell, uh, Sebastian, um, Ariel's like Finn. She's like too scared. She's like flown off the poster. Um, <laughs> Jasmine, Aladdin, and Genie are all kind of like on the fringes looking absolutely terrified of Stitch. And it is in in and the tagline is there's one in every family, which is hilarious. It's it's a brilliant poster. Um but what they also did, um, which I think will be fun to talk about before we get into the movie, are like four mini trailers, um, where basically Stitch enters the world of one of a classic Renaissance film. Um Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, and Aladdin. Uh, and they're like 30 seconds each. You can find them on YouTube. They are hilarious if you don't remember. I mean, you, there's a chance you remember them because they're it's pretty legendary um, uh, marketing stuff. And they reanimated some of these classic sequences. Um, all the voice actors returned to like speak for a, a brief moment. And they were all really shocked to hear um, that they were supposed to kind of actively revile Stitch. Because obviously, you know, 
if you're um, the voice of Ariel, uh, if you're Jodie Benson coming in to talk to promote a new Disney film, you probably wouldn't expect to be disgusted by the character um, <laughs> that you come in to talk about. But but here we are. Mm, yeah, I love this marketing campaign so much. It's so fun and it's so effective and so memorable. And I think that it really, from the offset, is just emphasizing that stitch is the character of stitch that is is a marketer's dream like this there is so much that you can do with this character and and we'll get into more of that i think because he's a really fascinating and really interesting character but i like the idea that in this marketing campaign both in the uh in the ads and in the poster and everything stitch is just like this disruptive force to disney and it's very unusual for Disney to use their old and existing characters in the marketing for their new film. Yeah. Like, they, even though there's little, uh, you know, there's little breadcrumbs, little Easter eggs and stuff littered throughout their films, like references to their previous works, whether that is in, you know, actual sightings of the characters in the background, you know, we've spoken, we've tried to pick out most of those when we've seen them. Um, but to use them so blatantly, I think, in the marketing is yeah. really, really interesting. And I, you sent me a video which was like all of those uh, trailers kind of like just in one handy little three minute YouTube clip. And they're so funny and they're so well done because it's that sense of familiarity. Like here's the old, here's the classic Disney, the things that you're used to, these beautiful, memorable scenes. Like you've got the ballroom in Beauty and the Beast and... A whole new world and the uh, aerial singing on the rock and the pride rocks simba being lifted above uh in the circle of life and then <laughs> just inserting stitch into these scenes is so so effective because it is just here is this yeah like i said this this disruptive force this uh this force of nature if you will that is you know the come to unsettle what we know about disney or what we come to expect about disney and it sort of shows that in a very literal way with him kind of gate crashing his way into these yeah. into these scenes and it's so great it's so much fun and yeah there's i it's no surprise to me whatsoever that stitch is such an enduring character because there's so much that you can do with this character yeah absolutely it's um I think it's what's really exciting about the campaign is it's so different um, mm. to anything that we've kind of seen before. And it's interesting because they rely quite heavily on nostalgia to uh, market and kind of pitch the next film, as as does pretty much every company. Um, you know, you get a lot of film trailers that kind of feel like they're copying kind of the essence of another film to get you excited because it's like oh if it's like that if it's like maybe like the matrix or something then that's exciting because i love the matrix so this film will be good and, and so on and so forth mm -hmm. but here they're quite literally taking sequences <laughs> that you know and love and kind of spoofing them like right in mm -hmm. front of your eyes and, and throwing stitch in and the fact like stitch brings down the chandelier in beauty and the beast dance <laughs> uh, and they have to like dramatically roll to get away um <laughs> 
and she's like find your own song and it's just like it's really like <laughs> they all hate him and they're all really annoyed by him and it's all kind of it's just so clever and it's the kind of stuff that you remember and i don't really remember trailers from like years ago very often i, I barely even watch trailers now because i prefer to go in as blind as possible most of the time mm-hmm. um but i can say I, I i remember these when i was a kid um i remember these from almost 20 years ago and and i can't think of any like other campaign that i have distinct memories of that you know from before the last couple years like this was ages ago um when i was a kid and i still i still like remember it like it was the other day it's one of the it's probably my favorite not that i think of my favorite ad campaigns very often but this is probably (laughs) it Mm. yeah i i distinctly remember the lion king one and i didn't realize i remembered it until i watched it again and then i was like oh i've definitely seen this <laughs> i've definitely yeah. seen this before so it wasn't that it wasn't memorable because obviously it was it's just that i have a terrible memory so until i'm prompted on something i will not remember but i was just um whilst you were sort of doing your your intro bit and you're talking about that stitch being a really enduring character and how is sort of like it's still incredibly popular in terms of merch and everything i was just having a look for just out of interest um how many different variants there are of stitch in the funko pop uh figurines and let me tell you there are a lot and this film does so much with this character that it's pretty much like every outfit every form that stitch takes is forever mortalized uh, immortalized in plastic in one of these funko pop figures so just sort of like scrolling down the um the page if anyone's not familiar funko pops are these very collectible sort of three inch uh figurines very cute there's tons of them i used to have a lot more but i had to downsize my collection <laughs> for space more than anything but i still have a couple um but Stitch ones, oh my goodness, there is uh, Stitch in his little spaceship, there's uh, Hula Stitch, there is Stitch on a tricycle, Halloween Stitch, there is Stitch with the frog, Stitch with the ducks, Stitch with the, uh, when he's got the little cape on and the sort of bikini top on his head. There, I mean, I, oh, Stitch as Elvis, of course, that's a, a classic one, but just, it's he really is a a marketer's dream and it's not surprising to me at all that he is still one of the most popular pieces of merch that you can buy like you know you can get him on you know cushions or t-shirts or yeah anything that you want (laughs) stitch is not on they i think they just released like a new like kitchen line with like stitch aprons and stuff he's everywhere he will show up (laughs) Like, it's funny because it's like in the trailers, like he will mm. appear anywhere, everywhere, mm-hmm. all the time. He's all, I, I worked in the, a Disney store for about a year, over a year, I think. Um, and he's everywhere. He, mm-hmm. He's inescapable, mm-hmm. which honestly, it's, there are way worse characters who get way more time, uh, like, you know, just as much notice in the world. So I'm fine with it. I think Stitch is a phenomenal character. He's incredibly well designed. Uh, the, all the kind of designs for the film were kind of based on ideas that Chris Sanders had, which was a big departure because they kind of always went by a sort of like Disney style. And there were a few examples, mm-hmm. obviously, that we've talked about where they kind of take the style of someone else and kind of use that as inspiration. But generally, it's a it's a Disney kind of style that you get. Um, but the characters do look different in, in this because they're all kind of based on ideas um, that Chris Sanders had. And um, Alex Kuberschmidt, who did the... Um, 
who was a supervising animator for Stitch, uh, just does extraordinary work. And Stitch is a really incredible uh, character in personality. And again, the voice is also Chris Sanders. Um, and in personality and in design. And, and there's a reason he's so memorable. That combination of that adorable voice this like kind of crazy alien and his like <laughs> physical capabilities he's in all he's also been like the kingdom hearts video games um lots of he's makes frequent appearances anywhere disney can put him um he's mm. he there's a um like a stitch ride or attraction in like every single disney park um he's everywhere he's he's an unstoppable cult he's genuinely we use the word <laughs> iconic a lot but he's a, he's he's a genuine cultural icon like Mm. countless people know who he is whether they've seen Lilo and Stitch or not yeah it's been I feel like it's been a little while since we have had a Disney film that is particularly well represented at the parks and in merchandise I'm just trying to think like what the last one was I'm tempted to say Lion King but I don't know if there has um, been one Mulan? following that yeah yeah, I guess that's because well, Mulan yeah. probably kind of has resurged because they just had the live action. Mm, um, this is true, yeah. Film as well, yeah. but yeah, probably it probably. I mean, to be fair, it probably is the Lion King um, that has mm, the most kind of mm. significant um, presence, and kind of all the like the films from Little Mermaid to um, the Lion King are, are kind of all over all the parks, uh, and then mm, in the future mm. you get kind of Frozen is now everywhere. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is definitely one of the few. Princess and the Frog is seen to join it. Uh, it's about to get a ride in in place of Splash Mountain, which we talked about when that was announced. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in in the two thousands, it it's a pretty um, it's pretty quiet in terms of theme park representation. At least now, I I, I can't remember whether when they were coming out. I'm sure they had a bigger presence, but mm-hmm. nowadays, it's, yeah. it's Stitch is definitely the kind of the big one that remains mm. um i don't think there's a whole lot of chicken little chicken little brother bear or home on the range merch or, or ride <laughs> shame or reference it. it honestly it is a shame um <laughs> hanging around disney these days but yeah um lilo and stitch has definitely uh remained and that's a lot of that has to do with stitch but a lot of that has to do with the fact that lilo and stitch is a wonderful film um mm. And we kind of start off in this like intergalactic world where like he's known as Experiment Six Two Six, and this guy named Jumba, who is the glorious um, David Ogden Steers, um, voices him and really gives him this amazing life. And and he is this like creature to be terrified. And then he eventually, through various mishaps and maydays, uh, winds up in Hawaii. <laughs> Uh, where Lilo finds him in a dog kennel, and and then they begin this crazy relationship, um, and it's a very special film, and it feels so different, um, from so many Disney films, which I think really is a trademark of the two thousands, and you know it gets a bad rap, but they're trying a lot of different things. I mean, you go back to back to back to back of these last four films, you have Dinosaur, you have Emperor's New Groove, you have Atlantis, and you have this, and none of those films are anything like one another. You can kind of draw mm. some parallels between Lilo and Stitch and um, Ember's New Groove, but not many. I mean, these are, you know, they're both like, they're both fu- frequently funny, and that's kind of, and they're both hand-drawn, and that's basically as close as you can get. I mean, they're they're really trying 
a lot of exciting and different things in this period, and and I think there's not enough said about that because there's kind of a focus on what's to come in the 2000s of a lot of disappointments and bad box office performance, and they're kind of getting swallowed by Pixar and DreamWorks and and so forth. Um, but they're really trying new things, and kind of the the 90s were really relying on a certain formula um, mm. to make them successful. And that's not a bad thing. Obviously many of the most memorable Disney films of all time are, are from that Renaissance period. But the two thousands is really kind of reminds me in some ways, I'm not, compa- I'm not saying it's um, equal to the golden age at all, but it's kind of that era where they're really like kind of pushing and, and trying to see what else is out there. It, it, it might be this time around more desperation and the sense that other companies are encroaching on what they do and making more money from it rather than the golden age where the kind of sole mission was to blow everyone's minds and their own minds and constantly break boundaries of artistic ambition and and ability um so the the motivations are probably very very different uh but it's kind of exciting to see them try so many different things in such a short period of time because um these four films are released between 2000 and 2002 Mm. and mm. and treasure planet is also i believe 2002 yeah so you yeah. know that's five films that are drastically different from one another released over the period of two of two years or three years 2000 mm. 2001 and 2002 that's that's pretty crazy mm. to me and 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 very exciting um obviously there are various degrees of success i wouldn't say we were fans <laughs> of dinosaur <laughs> um or not necessarily huge fans of atlantis but I think this is a real victory for Disney um, in kind of because they're about to very soon after a couple films kind of depart fully, almost fully from hand-drawn animation entirely. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is a really great example of of hand-drawn animation that works beautifully. So I guess maybe let's talk about how it looks. Yeah, absolutely. I was a big fan of how this film looked. And it's funny, I didn't really twig that it was going back to that watercolor style until i sort of started my research and then i saw that it was the first film since dumbo to use watercolor backgrounds and i was like oh that's why it looked so different because we've seen these really dynamic backgrounds and this sort of increasing use or leaning towards the use of cgi and we've just come off the back of a very cgi heavy film in atlantis even though it is this sort of hybrid of of hand-drawn and cgi and when i started watching lilo and stitch i was like oh this looks and feels very different like it feels like a real throwback and and i i love that about it i really really love the way this film looks it's really quite refreshing i think in this era of a lot of big cgi heavy animated films and that goes for other studios as well like not just disney where most other animation studios were putting out pretty much entirely computer generated output rather than than hand-drawn it's really only disney that were still kind of doing hand-drawn um and i think maybe that's why i like the look of this film so much because it does feel like those older films and i think i said on the on our Fantasia 2000 episode actually that I this whole podcast process has turned me into a bit of an animation snob because (laughs) I it's just made me realize just how much I prefer hand-drawn I really appreciate the craft of it and that's not to say that there aren't CGI ones I love I mean there is a whole bunch that I that I love when we sort of are coming towards the 
the end of our podcast journey i i really love frozen and moana and that whole era tangled as well it's one of my favorites so it's not that i don't like that style it's just that i prefer the hand drawn so it's really nice to see that here and the the backgrounds even though they are simple i think there's something so charming about it because you can see the the craft that has gone into it that that is something that someone has has painted and even though it doesn't have that depth and detail that some of the more recent films we've watched have had it has that something extra it has that sort of old school charm to it and i think maybe that has that is one of the reasons why this film has been so enduring and endearing it's not it's a lot of it is in the characters like yes we've spoken about how stitch is this just kind of marketing dream and a really great and popular character in in disney's history but i think that this is one of those films where if the hand drawn is is what you're a fan of and if you are fans you know like we are of the of the golden era and of the of the renaissance and those eras of disney this sort of feels like it could slot into either one of those quite comfortably even though it's very very different in its style as well but i i love the way this film looks and i i really like the character design as well it's i think it's great how particularly lilo and nanny are are drawn like real people and i think that that's something that Disney, particularly with their female characters, have not done that well in the past yeah. where they are, you know, a, a completely unobtainable figure that is very sort of like, I mean, they were terrible for it in the 40s and um, that kind of era with sort of like very, very large chested, tiny, tiny waist, big yeah. hips sort of style. The most extreme no, of hourglasses. Yeah, like no real person actually looks like that. Whereas in this, it's just like, no, these look like real people. They're, it's not sort of exaggerated too much or they just, yeah. I And I, I like that we sort of see that again when we get to, when we get to Moana as well, which is one of the things I really love about that film. But this, I think the character design in this is, is really, really great. And it's, I, I love the way it looks just in general. I think it's great. Yeah, it has a it has a really lovely style that fits with the location so well, and I think that's why it works. Yes. Is that it? And again, I, I have not been to Hawaii. I'd love to go. Um, I have not mm -hmm. been there, but it feels, you know, it feels like an authentic kind of style for an island or a place that take or a film that takes place on an island surrounded by water. You really get the sense of water, and the underwater scenes are beautiful. Um. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen like really great underwater scenes really since The Little Mermaid and then before that like Pinocchio. It doesn't happen very often in Disney and they don't go underwater very often. Um, even in something like Atlantis, you would expect a lot more underwater sequences than um, what you get in Atlantis, which is mostly like caves, um, which is fine. <laughs> but like you just you just mm -hmm. you would just assume a movie called Atlantis would have a humongous portion of it taking place underwater. Uh, which it does not. Although I will say the underwater scenes are, are, are great. Um, but, you know, you don't get a lot of underwater stuff. And it, we kind of start, the first kind of thing we see um, when they get to Hawaii is, um, you know, the fish underwater and then Lilo swimming underwater. And it's just the cutest mm -hmm. thing you've ever seen. Lilo is such a adorably designed character and, and she's not like grossly skinny. And in fact, her she's wearing a, a kind of dress that covers her whole body anyway, which is, which is lovely because she's seven and that makes sense. 
<laughs> this is how this is how you know kids typically dress, um, and it's it's mm. great to see. Um, and yeah, the the style really kind of welcomes you into this world really beautifully, and the the contrast between the um, kind of space stuff and the um, Hawaii is really great because I think the fact that it's all kind of watercolor backgrounds really helps kind of like bridge that gap of like two completely different mm-hmm. worlds. Like they have if they had gone out gone like all out and doing like extremely accurate like super attention to detail kind of backgrounds it would have really kind of been jarring to switch over to hawaii but i think keeping that um watercolor thing consistent really really helps bring it to life um it's just Mm. a it's really it's a really warm looking movie it has a really Mm -hmm. beautiful color we we complained a lot um in the past about how especially I have complained about how lots of like period piece <laughs> kind of films, whether they're Disney or not, like are like really gray. And there's just like mm. this kind of new thing that's going on where like to be like a quote unquote serious film, you have to be like really gray and really dark color palette and like murky and, you know, dark and seedy. But you, that, that that's nonsense because there's lots of very serious and great films that are really bright and colorful. Um, and it's, it, but there aren't nearly as many because it, they're not taken as seriously. And it's so nice to have a film really warm and colorful. We kind of talked about how um, Sword in the Stone, for example, was really like gray and brown and just for for such magic that was going on, it just didn't feel like it was bursting with color like something like Sleeping Beauty is. Um, and it's just mm. it's a really great use of color. Um, making Stitch Blue is great. Um, and it's just it it just kind of bursts off the screen. And it's it's really it's really a sight to behold this movie. Mm. That's a really good point, actually, about the the distinct difference between the space scenes and then the Hawaii scenes. And I think that maybe that's not something everyone would would notice that you know where this film predominantly uses that CGI style or or more of that technology is in those space scenes, and it the the style when it's on on the island and in Hawaii is is that hand drawn watercolor style but it it really fits like it fits perfectly and there is a a warmth and a loveliness and a charm to this film that i think you get in the characters and in the subject matter as well and this sort of lovely message about family and and sort of making your own family like however unconventional the setup of it might be um that is also like reflected in the art style of it i think that it's it's perfect really for what this film is trying to is trying to put across and yeah i just it's it's really great <laughs> what a great film <laughs> yeah it 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 does and the it's funny because it's kind of decision to make it cheaper and and kind of cut costs in a way i think actually really helps it and really lends mm-hmm, to that mm-hmm. like feeling of of intimate emotion that this film nails so well. Disney's really good often at doing these kind of big sweeping emotions um, and these like huge emotional scenes and these big deaths and these dramatic fights. Um, And this film doesn't, I mean, it it has uh, some actually really well executed action, um, but it doesn't have a whole lot of it. And it's really kind of a, uh, a very different Disney film in the fact that this is a really kind of slower film it's also its main focus is on a relationship between sisters uh and this is kind of the first well, second because i mentioned it, uh, pocahontas um and her 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 friend nakoma and then now we have it again and it's even bigger and kind of blown, more blown up to be kind of the main story here um which is about mm-hmm. sisters 
and and their relationship and we've kind of talked about how it's so rare to have um any film animated or not um focus on a relationship between two women and their friendship um and their mm-hmm. sisterhood and and their and their love for one another um and it also deals with financial struggles loneliness and and depression which are not the kind of mm-hmm. key words you see buzzing around really any other Disney film. Um, mm. Disney films are, you know, they're often about princesses or, or princes who are, you know, wildly wealthy and financial concerns have never come up in Disney before. Um, it's just not a, it's not a thing in most films. In most films, in fact, you see people living in like these huge houses while they're saying that they're like the most poor person in the world. It's like, okay, well, how do you have an 18 bedroom house? Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, or like people with financial struggles who happen to have like a huge apartment in like a, in the middle of a big city that you know is not possible. Um, so it's nice to see a, a film kind of recognize that they're really struggling to upkeep this life because they're both of their parents tragically died not that long ago. Um, and Nani, they don't. I don't say they think they say explicitly, but I think the general consensus is that Nani is nineteen, around nineteen, and Lilo's Lilo's around mm-hmm. seven. Um, so you know she's kind of thrust in. She's a young, barely an adult, like a late teenager becoming a young adult. Um, most people would be like in the middle of university at this point, um, and she's kind of thrown this responsibility of of being, um, both a sister and like a mother to Lilo, and she's trying to find, consistent work. Um, which is hard because she doesn't have anyone to take care of Lilo while she's a- away. So she Lilo has to have, either has to come with her or she leaves Lilo alone and she's not allowed to do that. Um, but it's it's all real and they they you know they fight and and bicker like siblings do can relate. But they also <laughs> love each other like siblings do also can relate. Um, and it's a balance that they really get well and and I think this kind of stripped back approach to not have so many people on the screen and to just kind of really laser in on on a few that there are sequences that have lots of people but generally it's it's only about three for the most part lilo stitch and nani there's, there's there are other great characters but it's mostly about those three um and it just you know we had just had empress and Groove, which was really four characters which was really small all of a sudden but now it's even less um and it's it's just uh it really works and it's a it's a really beautifully told intimate story that disney hasn't approached before or again yeah it was it was it was a really refreshing change of pace i think especially since we just watched atlantis which had all the characters in the world and i really struggled (laughs) yeah so many i really struggled to connect to any of them and i think the film or we talked about this but it, it struggled to give adequate time to all of those characters to even give us a reason to like them or or care about them or or worry about them but this film does the total opposite of that and even obviously the film is better for having Stitch in it and I think he's a really important part of it. He is half of the title and is this kind of exceptional character that we've spoken about a lot. But I think even when you take Stitch out of the equation, I love the relationship between these two sisters. I think it's so honest and it's so heartwarming but it also, like you said, it doesn't shy away from those realities at all and it, it, this is a you know nani is a a young girl as well and she is also grieving uh mm-hmm. her parents and and going through that situation but also having the added responsibility of having to look after her younger sister who is a bit of a handful let's face it and that's kind of why 
Lilo and Stitch are these kindred spirits because they're both a bit sort of um you know these bundles of energy and they really need each other to be yeah. sort of perfect for each other really but that that sisterly relationship I think is something that is that is really great and I so it's going to sound weird, but I I like the fact that things don't just come easily for them because I think that's something. No, I don't that... think that's weird at all. Okay, <laughs> I think that's something that happens in a lot of Disney films where it's just like, oh, they have a problem, and then two seconds later it is fixed, whether that is by magic or other means. And even though this film has extraterrestrial beings and these sort of like space aliens and and spaceships and fun things going on in the background their problems don't just fix themselves like a fairy godmother does not show up wave yep. a magic wand and suddenly all their problems are gone away like nani has to work and really really try to get a job there's that great sort of montage sequence where she is she's trying to find a job and she's got uh lilo and stitch in tow and whilst she is desperately trying to find a job <laughs> lilo is trying to um sort of incorporate Stitch into society and, and teaching him all the things that he needs to know and uh, mostly just involving dressing him up as Elvis and oh, learning Elvis how to play Elvis Stitch the guitar is a cultural and... touchstone. <laughs> it really is. It's magnificent. But, yeah, it's I just I I love the I love the reality of this film and even though it is lovely escapism with these fun and zany characters that we're used to it's also very very real and very honest and i think that that is one of the things i like about it so much is is that relationship between these two sisters and seeing them overcome their their struggles in what feels a very real way i mean i think we've all been in that situation where we've been struggling to find jobs or our current situation has not been very good and you sort of you do get into that pit of despair i mean i've been there where you know when lilo is just sort of like lying on the floor listening to music i mm -hmm. was like yep can can relate uh mm -hmm. <laughs> we've been yeah, in that place where i think it's especially hitting to watch it now um right. during what's going on in the world it's, it's crazy how it's something i always love about any kind of story is that you never know when It'll be mm. just as timely as it was when it came out, and it would have been timely then. But even it, it might even be more timely now because the whole kind of world, um, with the exception of very few countries who have more—I mean, not necessarily fully recovered—but are kind of getting back to properly normal kind of life. Um, but most mm. of us are still kind of stuck at home. Many millions of people across the world are out of jobs that they once thought were secure, um, and. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of it's way more devastating to watch it now than it would have been like a few years ago for the average mm -hmm. person. Obviously, people kind of struggle throughout time, and people are always kind of struggling to to fit in and and jobs and finding new jobs is never an easy thing. Um, but particularly now, it just feels that extra bit crushing almost <laughs> um, to, yeah. to watch her really struggle. And it's not like you know, there's no. Um, there's no trust fund, there's no um, nanny, there's no like other family around that can help them mm -hmm. out. Um, David, who is her kind of, sort of, almost boyfriend, um, is amazing, and their relationship is probably, honestly, probably the healthiest Disney relationship. Um, mm -hmm. Like, they, they would, they, they kind of help each other out when they can, and he is more than happy to um, help the family, because he loves the family, and it, it's not about um, getting her to like fall in love with him or anything like that. It's just like he genuinely adores them, and and she she adores him too. 
Um, and that's a really lovely dynamic between the two of them that, that again, it does not appear in Disney very often because Disney is usually like, they kind of kiss and then the movie ends because they've got married and they've <laughs> been together happily ever after, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this is a, it's a different look at a relationship and in a, in a film that is full of things that are different for Disney. And um, yeah, it's just another example of something that's really special about Lilo and Stitch is that it, it, it kind of on the surface, if you're like kind of looking through and you haven't seen any of these movies, it probably looks like it's the same as so many others. But it really is one of the most unique um, approaches to storytelling that Disney has had because it really kind of focuses on stuff that people really deal with in real life while also having an alien. <laughs> it's, it's a really, or multiple aliens, I should say, and a giant, you know, spaceship fight at the beginning and end of the mm. movie. Um, it's it's a really amazing balance that is uh, close to impossible, I think, to pull off well, but they, they've absolutely managed it. And it's no surprise um, that these guys um, went on to write and direct How to Train Your Dragon, and then uh, Dean Dubois um, wrote and directed all three uh, and... and um, Chris Sanders did the the first one with Dean. Uh, it's no surprise that they went on to do another massively successful franchise. They're very gifted storytellers, and they have a really because How to Train a Dragon is quite a unique vision as well. It's it's based on a book, but it's still quite a unique kind of story. Um, and they're great at finding them. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's it's really nice to see. And I I really just the thinking about this film just just makes me as always made me feel really warm. But it's also a really sad movie. In a lot of points, this is mm-hmm. half of the movie is about, or more than half of the movie is about how Lilo is almost certainly going to be taken away from Nani forever, to live in a home that's mm-hmm. more capable of taking care of her, and that happens. Uh, obviously, they're not mm-hmm. officially, you know, fully separated, but there is a moment where, you know, at night she's kind of singing to Lilo and holding her, and and they're devastated because she's going to have to leave, and it's it's heartbreaking because it's a thing that happens to tons an indescribable number of families throughout the world that unfortunately aren't able to make ends meet for various reasons and they're not able to care for the ones that they love. It's it's very sad and, and not something that you would ever, I don't think, expect to be um, in an animated movie generally uh, because the general mm-hmm. perception is, you know, anim- a- animated stuff is, is kid stuff, which I think we've proven wrong many, many times, but many other films have also done that. And more recently, there's even more adult animation coming out, um, which is great. Um, but these kind of themes are not something you see generally in cinema, let alone mm. in a Disney movie. I think it's 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 revolutionary and it's really exciting to see. Mm. Yeah, I just I was thinking about something as you as you were talking there that again I hope that I can uh, explain this <laughs> in a way that makes sense. But I know you will be on hand to help me out in case I get tongue tied. <laughs> but a lot of films and not just Disney films, but a lot of just other films in general i feel like they really romanticize the idea of being an orphan does that make sense like they it's yeah, sort because of there's a cut that like idea that you'll like find these most like spectacular parents and like you'll be whisked right this like magical world. yeah 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 and we see that in we see that in disney films as well i mean it's one of our core themes absence of a parent we talk about it every week and we've had other kind of like sad orphan disney films um what one am i thinking of the rescuers mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. is she an orphan in that yep um oliver and company i guess as well in well t- she's, well, in terms she's of like, like a... um she she becomes kind of adopted by this criminal syndicate of cats <laughs> yeah that's the one <laughs> yeah 
Um, but no, she, yeah. she's not yeah. an orphan, but her parents are are gone. They're rich, so they're never there. Yes. Yeah, they've, they've just But The Rescuers is definitely that, like, that movie about the saddle. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then her her parents, you know, or she finds, like, a new family at the end and everything is, like, fine and wonderful and perfect. And that's so frequently the narrative that we see in films that are about orphans it's you know the sad orphan they go through some stuff and then you know their their dream family comes along and and their life is just turned around for the better but this really looks at like a very different idea of of orphans in in film and like i said they both lilo and nani are are orphans their their parents have died so they're in the same boat but it's not just they're not then saved by this lovely couple or lovely other family that step in to sort of raise them it's like they do it by themselves and they do it with a lot of hardships and difficulties along the way and i just think it's it's nice to sort of have a different take on that narrative and it's something that feels a lot more realistic i mean i i have never been in that situation so i i don't know i can't speak you know into a personal experience or anything but it's i imagine it's not it's not the the fairy tale that it's quite often yeah, I think that's trade as in film. That's a really good point because society as a whole and and films have a tendency to kind of romanticize things that, if you really think about, it, are really horrible. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll see it a lot in like American news headlines these days. Um, there was one recently going around the other day of like a young girl who has um, like uh, either like brain cancer or like a serious brain disease or something um like Mm. trying to sell like lemonade to like fund like payments for it and like the the headlines kind of read like that's like such a lovely thing like look at this girl trying the fact that anyone on earth needs to raise money to not die from a medical Mm. condition is horrific you you know you Mm -hmm. you you see these like headlines about these schools and how all these teachers come together and it's a really beautiful thing because you know they're pooling their sick days so the one teacher who has cancer can like have some time off nothing about that is good that's horrifying Mm -hmm. that's like dystopian Mm. that's really awful stuff um but you know the powers that be not to like um (laughs) but it's true you know they don't want people to be like that's a bad thing they want people to be like oh what a nice story of humans coming together like when when you know healthcare should be more accessible in many places in the world um and it happens too in movies when when there's you know kind of stuff and it's romanticized with kind of like that fairy tale tinge like you were talking about and i i think that's what makes this film even more special is that um they 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 avoid that and i mean again there there isn't there is a space dog that is stitch um and it has <laughs> fantastical elements but it doesn't um it doesn't romanticize that idea like there it's not um there's a term called kind of like poverty porn like it's not that it's not mm. trying to like turn struggles into like this sweet tender story of like look how look how much fun they're having even though they're struggling i mean they they do have good times together because that's what families do despite everything but it's it it doesn't have that same approach where they're trying like you were saying of trying to like romanticize it it doesn't do that um mm. although I, I, I will say i feel like we've talked all good stuff i think but i feel like we've talked a lot about how sad this movie is but i we should know <laughs> that it is really really funny too uh and there's a mm. lot of great humor in in this movie a lot of which comes from that dynamic with lilo and stitch and a lot of it comes in um that meeting when with cobra bubbles who is um ving rames who is based on the character a character that he plays in um pulp fiction which is <laughs> incredibly hilarious to me that there's any sort of link between lilo and stitch and pulp fiction but you know the world is a beautiful <laughs> place 
Um, <laughs> but that scene where he comes to visit the first time, um, and he comes to visit the house when Lilo's like bolted her, like nailed herself the door, like she's nailed it in <laughs> so Nanani can't get in. Uh, and my favorite, I think my favorite joke in the movie, of which there are many, but I think my favorite scene or favorite little moment um, is when Co- when they're in the kitchen. Uh, Cobra and and Nani, and he asks her, um, "Do you ever do you often leave your sister alone?" And she says, "No, never." Uh, and then it cuts to a drawing on the fridge <laughs> of Lilo, like lying, like base, almost like dead on the floor, and it just says, "Me alone." And it's just, <laughs> it is just there is really great timing in this. I mean, Disney has always been uh, a studio that has been producing great comic minds and great artists. Uh, not that those two things are different, they're the same. Um, but great, like really funny people and really talented artists, often the same person. Um, and this is just, there's so many great visual gags, uh, hidden Easter eggs. There's a lot of really fun times they have with the visuals in this movie. Mm. Yeah, there are so many Easter eggs in this. And I feel like we've had, a again, a bit of a dry spell in terms of picking these things out. Like there's been little things here and there but this film is very it's got it all. self-referential yeah i was trying to make a note of them all so if there are any that i've forgotten then please just yell at me once i finish but yeah um nani has a mulan poster on her wall uh immediately we stand because <laughs> i love that film and i would also like that poster I not surprising from like... the co-writers of of mulan and the second film made yes. in orlando love that yeah, <laughs> I love that connection. I think there's also like a shop or something that's called like Mulan um, in the town. I didn't spot that, but it was on the IMDb um, trivia cool. page thing. Um, I've, If you're a Pixar fan, uh, you will know all about the A113 uh, motif that appears in all of their films. I think that was that the the room that they yeah, um, it's, um, it, it was, worked it's, in. Yeah, it's like a lot of Disney and Pixar artists. Um, were taught at Cal mm. Arts, um, and mm-hmm. then one of the rooms at Cal Arts was A one one three. I'm sure it still is, um, and a lot yeah. of them kind of developed their their greatness, if you will, or began to kind of sow mm. the seeds of their abilities um, at in in that room. So there's actually two. There's um, it happens. It's um, it's on the the back of one of the vehicles, and then when Stitch is destroying um, San Francisco, obviously not real <laughs> San Francisco. Um, A one one three is is in that scene as well, in on one of the mm. buildings he's destroying. But that's that is yeah. the the story behind A one one three. It is not in many Disney films. I think this is the first mm. that it's in in the Disney film, but it is in I think every single Pixar movie. It is, yeah. I was surprised to see it in a not Pixar film. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's any other examples. I will be. This is definitely the first I think in the ones that we've spoken about because I think we would have mentioned it before, but. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if it's in if it's in any others, but this feels like the right sort of film for that to be in because there's so many other references as well. So uh, Lilo has a Dumbo plush, which is a really nice touch because obviously we've spoken about this being like the first mm, mm-hmm. uh, watercolor background film since Dumbo. So I think that's really cool that there is a reference to a very explicit reference to Dumbo in the film as well like she has a plush that is very clearly done by um when they're building sandcastles on the beach the sandcastle that they build is basically a replica of the sleeping beauty castle that you have at the disney parks um 
there is the sort of uh, the book, The Ugly Duckling, that Lilo reads, and the images in that are basically from the, the Disney version of that story. Was that a short, I think, The Ugly Duckling? There is, there is there, I believe there is an Ugly Duckling short from, from way back, yeah. Mm, yeah, I think it's using yeah, it's using the same images from that. I'm just I will I will piggyback Google, on but... the um the Ugly Duckling book. When he mm-hmm. when Stitch is going through the books to get to the Ugly Duckling book, there's there's a couple of really funny ones, but one key one uh was called let me see, where did I write it down? Um where'd it go? I, I literally it was literally on my eyes and then I was like, Oh, I'll tell Sarah about it and then it vanished. <laughs> um Fire Eating for Fun and for Profit. <laughs> Which I, I I would like to read that to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I would I would mm-hmm. like I would like to know how to eat fire at all, but I would like to know the differences of eating fire for fun and for profit, and, and the the nuances and the politics behind that. I think would be really fun. Mm. Uh, and there was mm-hmm. another uh, book that I think kind of poked fun at like Hawaii, like tourists to Hawaii, which I I appreciated those those little references. Um, but yeah, mm. it's 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 loaded with a lot of with a lot of fun. Um, and also a lot yeah. of Elvis, um, which is cool because <laughs> you you know you'll this is kind of the this is the first Disney film really that features music from an artist that is then referenced in the film um, mm. and is actually kind of like in a way a character in the movie because he's kind of like this this spiritual um, guide almost for Lilo like it's. Mm. Yeah, Elvis Presley is like kind of the like ideal person for for, for Lilo, which is which is really fun. Um, mm. But yeah, it's the first time there's been kind of like a major artist or or any musician it kind of explicitly referenced in the universe of the film. Like you know, you have to believe that in The Lion King, the lions don't know who Elton John is. Tarzan does not know who Phil Collins is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the bears and brother bear, when Phil Collins returns, do not know who Phil Collins is either. Um, but it's 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 funny because this is kind of the only time that a, a musical person and or even indeed even like a real life person um, is a really key kind of moment in the film when his and his music plays a a, a role, which is exciting because this is kind of the first. This is like the, this is a contemporary you know film. It, it's set now or it's set in you know or the early two thousands, um, mm. and it's kind of the first one that has like real explicit references to like real people and including like a mm. literal photo of Elvis Presley not an animated drawing of him. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice touch as well because um is it Blue Hawaii the Elvis Presley yeah film that is set in Hawaii. So yeah, there is that like connection I guess with the with the place. So it's not just like a random person that they've chosen. Obviously he is an incredibly iconic and well-known musical figure but you could just imagine that you know hawaii being a sort of and being an island as well and and lilo having this real connection to elvis presley like maybe that was something you know she watched that film or listened to elvis's music like with her parents or something and that is something that she has has carried through so it's a reference that makes sense it's not just like let's shoehorn this person's music in yeah yeah Yeah, and he was he was very um a big part of of Hawaii when he, he did Blue Hawaii and I don't know Elvis that mm. well but I know that Hawaii is a very important place to him and and Hawaii too and vice versa. Mm. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just scrolling through. Uh, I'm not I I don't know that much about Elvis's films in particular, but yeah, there are a couple. Uh, there's Paradise Hawaiian Style uh, from 1966. So yeah, there are more more than one film that he 
um did in hawaii and there's i think he sort of had like a bit of a connection with the place as well in terms of doing shows there and um yeah I, i've there'll seen be, there'll that be picture. some like elvis I... presley fan screaming at this be like he's cool <laughs> he's actually blank 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 i don't know the answer um but yeah, yeah. i think that's a really cool thing that like this is the first time we've kind of seen like a a we get lots of pop culture jokes and, and references. Aladdin has loads of them, but you don't see, like, you know, Genie acts like Jack Nicholson, but you don't see Jack Nicholson in Aladdin. Mm. Um, you see Genie mm. impersonating him. This is, you know, you see Elvis Presley is there. Elvis Presley is a plot point. Everyone knows in this film who Elvis Presley is. And it has Elvis Presley's songs, which I think is so cool. Mm. Yeah, and I think they're, they're used really well as well. Did they, like, you might not know the answer to this, but did they have any problems in terms of using that music for the film because obviously i know sometimes when you're using uh an existing musician's work that the licensing for it can sometimes be a bit of a pain but i i would i don't know for sure but i would think if disney wants to get their hands on music there aren't many people Mm. who would say no (laughs) they would a pay whatever they want um whatever the people ask and and most people would be most estates i mean Presley wasn't around in the 2000s, but you know most estates mm. of people would be happy to have their mu- music as a key part of a, a major film. Yeah. So I would I would say probably not. Mm. I think particularly as it's quite it's obviously very affectionate towards him as well. Like you said, he is kind of a character or a plot point in that this film. Adore, so yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's a, a nice tribute in a way I think as well. And and the music plays a really important part um in the film, but um. Shall we shall we talk about who we stand this week? Oh heck week? yeah. <laughs> so um in, in our uh notes uh that we make sort of uh for the show to attempt to keep us on track. Um I almost made it uh David uh who is Nani's uh boyfriend uh and my sole reason was just well he's a lovely character but my main reason was just because he is an absolute snack. Um but an oh, honorable man. mention <laughs> an honourable mention to to David, who continues in that wonderful pantheon of uh, lovely, handsome men in in Disney films that Top we have spoken about. Gents. And he's probably the he's probably <laughs> the love he's probably the loveliest one. He's probably the best one to have a relationship with because he's genuine and caring and like would do anything to support you in your life. He, he yeah, he's the um... one who gets her a job. He's the one who finds the job for her. He also saves Stitch. He there's no film what a good it, guy. <laughs> we're now just changing no we're not changing our this minds this film's a lot we're... shorter and a lot sadder without him yeah also as well just kudos for having a character who i mean we talked about how like his uh and nani's relationship is is one of the healthiest ones in disney but also it's like pretty progressive as well that here is a a young guy who is basically willing to take on a surrogate child in in a sense because Lilo is young and she needs parents and they sort of form this slightly unconventional family where mm-hmm. he's kind of like a father figure to to Lilo and and also deals with her having a you know uh slightly wild uh aggressive alien dog pet thing so um David is a is a good guy but he is not our choice uh, not the main choice anyway he's a a very high honorable mention this week but our um pick for in this house we stand is the lovely Cleekly, who does is his what's his title like, like is he called like Captain Cleekly or something or is it's it just a, Cleekly? It's a good question. I just know him as Legend King Queen <laughs> Drag Aficionado. Um, I love him so much. 
I don't believe he has a official like honorific or anything. I think he's just straight up Pleakley. Um, mm. And he was a member of the Galactic Federation and kind of became Jumba's partner when they kind of forced them together to go get Stitch. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's I'm I'm just looking at his uh his uh Disney fandom wiki page now, but uh Agent Pleakley is uh is his official I love title, I suppose. Yeah. He was the but... supervising animator um for Pleakley and David actually. What a what a coincidence is uh the amazing yeah. Ruben Aquino who gave us Maurice, he gave us Francis, he gave us Jake from Rescuers, he gave us Adult Simba. He gave us Lee Shang and Fa Lee. He's given us. He's given us so much. Uh, <laughs> one of the one of the one of the greats. Um, mm. and he he did double duty, giving us our two faves in this movie. What a what a guy. Mhm, mm mhm. Yeah, I I love his little uniform. It is just it's delightful. I love the design of this character. It's it's really excellent. And I was trying to. A favorite moment, but I think just in general, I really like his affinity to mosquitoes. Uh, a much maligned and not appreciated bug that is generally considered to be a real nuisance, but uh, well, yeah. he <laughs> loves them. What's so, what's so funny about it is it turns out there's kind of the whole reason they don't just blow right. So, so in the story, they discover that Stitch lands on a planet called I don't know, maybe ER, which is funny that they say that, um, <laughs> but he lands on Earth. And specifically Hawaii, and then they're like, "Can't we just like blow up the planet to get rid of him?" Uh, and then Pleakley storms in because mosquitoes are an endangered species, and they're trying to protect them. But it turns out they're not. And Cobra um, Bubbles, way back in Roswell in the '70s, as part of the CIA, uh, convinced an alien who must have been Pleakley um, that mosquitoes are endangered. So he's trying to protect something that uh, doesn't necessarily need his protection. Um, but I think it, it just makes you love him all the more. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah and i i love that he spends the majority of this film in drag as well i mean we stand for that yeah, alone and I, feel. <laughs> I think that's my my favorite moment is when they're like at the um kind of luau place where they're they're doing the the fire reading and stuff and he he i actually don't even know if pleakley is confirmed as he or she which i think makes him even better mm. um but pleakley is uh, presents largely as as male so we'll we'll go with we'll go with he um but he's just so fun because it's so obvious that he just has one eye, um, and they make they make no disguise, they make no um, effort to conceal the fact that it's just like a one eye in the middle, like kind of Cyclops, Mike Wazowski kind of thing. Um, and now lots of people are born uh, with just one eye, but not as far as I know, not any like just one big eye in the center of the, the, of the person's forehead. I, I'm so sorry if you were that person, but I'm just not familiar. Um, but mm -hmm. I just I just thought that was really funny that they like they don't even seem particularly bothered by the fact that he very clearly has one um, <laughs> giant eye in the middle of his head and Jumba has four eyes but at least he kind of hides a couple of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I like that their disguises were not particularly effective disguises but very funny and very amusing nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's um it's been a it's been a little while since we have delved into the uh, the dark pages of the disney fandom wiki, oh boy. but are you are you ready for some of i'm Wiki's, not sure <laughs> uh <laughs> some of his his stats i'm basically i'm just going to go through what it says uh his it's okay, cause if, if it's too awful we're getting pretty close to the end so we can just be like okay bye <laughs> yeah we're done here <laughs> if it's no, too it's, devastating it's, for anyone. it's not as 
as bad and problematic as uh, Vixie's uh, was. Right. It's it's definitely an improvement on that. But um, I like the section yeah. where it goes through the things that uh, the things that he likes, and uh, Pleakley's likes include cleanliness, safety, yeah, sewing, fashion, <laughs> earth A- absolutely studies. Absolutely, he's into fashion. Yeah, <laughs> he is fashion. Um, earth studies, mosquitoes, and cross dressing. Um, I just enjoy that list of likes. <laughs> great hobbies, great likes. Yeah, it starts off so relatable. I'm like cleanliness, safety. Yeah, two things that I am. I'm very, uh, very for. And uh, yeah, sewing, fashion, cross dressing, mosquitoes. What a guy. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. That was uh our choice for in this house we stand. What are we? What have we got else? Uh, else we need to cover. Let me have um, a look. Well, normally we spend a long time talking about villains, but this this film. Yes. I mean, I don't know if there's really like a. I don't know if Gantu is like a really a villain. I mean, he's just trying to protect mm. the universe and and eliminate <laughs> what they perceive to be the biggest threat to ever exist. And I'm not gonna argue mm-hmm. that they're the true villain of this piece because I don't think there is one. Well, the true villain is society. Um, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. I don't think there's really a villain in this. Although I do say I really like Gantu. I like that he's kind of like a giant elephant, and you don't really realize how gigantic he is until he is on Earth. Um, mm. And like he walks past Nani, and you can just see that he's like five times the size of her, um, which I <laughs> which I appreciated. Um, but yeah, mm. he he. I don't know if he's really or the, him or the Ground Council woman. They're just kind of like responsible to keep the world in check and they kind of confirm that when when cobra bubbles i love cobra bubbles um (laughs) what a name um Mm -hmm. when they kind of meet at the end and realize that they've met before and you kind of realize that they're all you know he says they're all about rules and rules and laws are very important to them um so they're not necessarily malicious they're just trying to eliminate a threat that if anyone is the villain it's jumba (laughs) because jumba was the one who convinced them that, you know, Stitch is the most evil thing in the world that must be annihilated or the whole world will be destroyed, and he made him. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And Jumba is kind of the, like, agent of chaos in this movie, but I um, I just love him, so I refuse. I mean, villains is not does not mean we don't love them, but I just refuse to say he's the bad guy. But if anyone is, I think it has to be Jumba, because A, he made the problem in the first place, uh, and then mm-hmm. he kind of bigged it up to be the worst thing in the world when it, it turned out to be not so bad. Yeah, there's no the villains in this. I think are one of the the weaker things for me. But like with a lot of the films we've spoken about recently, where the villains haven't been as strong, generally they've not been that important in the wider story. And I yeah, think that, I think that's the thing. Like, this isn't really about villains. Like, it's not. Yeah. The, the The main threat of this movie isn't Stitch destroying the world. It's kind of like a subplot. It's kind of like the mm. B or C story in this, but what you know, the the main story is the relationship between Lilo and Nani and, and keeping them uh together at all costs. Mm. Um mm. and Lilo kind of you know, Lilo trying to fit in in society and um Lilo Stitch trying to fit into their world are kind of a lot more central to the um to Lilo and Stitch as a story than um aliens trying to like destroy Stitch. Um, it yeah. leads to very exciting sequences and really funny ones, especially when um, they're like Lilo is left alone at the towards the very end of the movie, um, and Nani is like gone to get a job that David's found for her, um, and they kind of go out in an all-out fight between Stitch and um, Pleakley, and well, not really Pleakley, but kind of Pleakley between Stitch and Jamba, 
Um, and then he, he has that great, like, blue punch buggy, no punch backs. Um, <laughs> and then another great one where they're kind of, like, tossing a bomb back and forth. Um, and he's like, Merry Christmas. He's like, it's not Christmas. And he's like, Happy Hanukkah. And he's like, it's not Hanukkah. <laughs> and it's like, I, I love that. Um, and then there's a, a great little moment where, where him and Lilo um, are building, like, a bomb. Um, in in Scrump, her her sweet little doll that she made herself, um, all really fun stuff. And again, they're fighting Jumba there. So mm-hmm. you know the real the the big fights are are that one, and then at the end when they're kind of trying to rescue Lilo from um, Gantu. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, they they are c- kind of framed as villains plot wise, but I don't really think they are actual villains. No. And and no one really does anything that is a super malicious or evil. I mean, they... That's the key. That's the key. The, like, malicious. That's a good point, because... Yeah. The, they're, you know, people make a lot of mistakes in this movie. Nani's always making mistakes, but she's trying so hard. She has two, like, really lovely moments um, when they're buying the dog, um, and Lilo's like, I want to pay for the dog, and then she's like, can I borrow two dogs? <laughs> Um, so she can buy the dog. Great price for a dog, by the way. Um, mm. And then there's another moment where she gets fired because of Lilo and, and Stitch, and Lilo says, "Was it because of us?" And she says, "No. Um, the my boss was a vampire, and she wanted he wanted me to like join his like blood cult or something." And 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 Lilo's like, "I knew it." Um, you know, just really like really good, strong, beautiful parenting moments. But you know, she screws mm. up all the time. Lilo struggles all the time, and, and Stitch is destroying everything. But you know they all mean well, and their their intentions <laughs> mm. are pure. Yeah, yeah, and this this pure. film d- <laughs> it is, and I think that's why it doesn't. You never sort of feel the absence of a villain, or you think that that's what it's missing because it just doesn't need it. There are still hardships and things that the characters have to go through, but mm-hmm. on the whole, this film is just is is pure and is lovely and doesn't doesn't need that threat there are there are yeah. moments of of you know tension and excitement and are these characters going to make it out and are they going to be okay but there's nothing really that is this sort of i want to destroy the world and everything in it threat because it's just not that kind of story and that's absolutely fine um, yeah and i, I but, actually yeah. think the i actually think the absence of that kind of like i mean it's there the whole like world at stake kind of thing but it's so minor i think the fact that the focus is mm. on the stakes of their relationship actually makes the stakes feel a lot bigger and more significant mm-hmm. um and you know those those family moments when they're struggling really hit harder than they would in like a if the world domination thing was really a big part of it because it just you always know that the, the the world domination dude or lady or person or creature or beast whatever is not gonna do it they're not gonna take over mm. the world they, they never have they're never gonna so you know it that that threat is is kind of empty these days so the the threat mm-hmm. of it being someone something far more real and true to life is I think was a, a great decision and a lot more effective in the end. Yeah, the the threat and the stakes are that Lilo might be taken away from her sister. Like those are still very very high stakes, and that's something that we don't want to happen because we're rooting for this family and we want them to succeed and we want the best for them. Mm-hmm. But and it's a lot more yeah, relatable. That's... Yeah, exactly. Like that's still that's still a very bad thing. That this film is not devoid of bad things. We've spoken about them a lot. That there's a lot of bad things in this in this film. It's just the way that it sort of handles them, and it it handles them in a way that feels very real and honest. And those bad things feel 
real and honest as well and and given that this is a film about like a little blue alien it's one of the most realistic depictions of family yeah, that i think we've seen, seen in disney yeah mm-hmm. it really has it has it all it has that fun and crazy energy that you get in films like the emperor's new groove and it has those moments of comedy and some really really funny moments that we've we've spoken about but it yeah. has so much heart and so much so much authenticity to it that i think is just really really admirable and do you know what i am i'm circling back on myself here and i think mm-hmm. that i'm liking this film a lot more than i did when i started mm-hmm. the podcast <laughs> Your work here is done, Barry. Uh, well done. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, it's it's a pleasure. Um, <laughs> shall we? Shall I? Shall we run through the um, seven million sequels? Yes, you you can you can do that because I have failed uh, in watching any of them. So even though I, I intended to watch the second, I one. <laughs> have. You know, this this is kind of the first time that none of them are actually bad. Um, mm. I, I I've seen all of them. Only one recently. I watched um Stitch two, Stitch has a glitch. Although chronologically the way they were released was um is Lilo and Stitch, then Stitch the movie, then Lilo and Stitch two, then Leroy and Stitch. But I think chronologically in the in the Lilo and Stitch universe, the Stitch has a glitch happens before Stitch the movie. It's wild. Um, <laughs> so I and then the um I think the UK actually also released earlier on DVD they released the two films together Lilo and Stitch and Lilo and Stitch two Stitch has a glitch, um which is what my Blu-ray copy has the two of them together. Um, the second one actually like I think the most surprising thing about it is it doesn't look that it's it does not look as good as Lilo and Stitch but it doesn't look that much worse. In fact, the characters look close to identical. So they did a really excellent job animating it which which is kind of rare to see it's not that they've ever done a bad job it's just it's really hard well they have sometimes but it's hard to go from like one that has 10 times 20 times the budget uh and then expect one that is has like barely any money put into it to look the same it's 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 not really possible but they do a great job uh lilo and stitch 2 is like also just over an hour um it's really quite charming it's it's sweet it's a nice a very easy watch It, it doesn't go into the same depth as as uh, the first one for sure, but it's it's perfectly pleasant. Um, mm-hmm. And then from what I remember, so is Stitch the movie. Leroy in Stitch is a bit ridiculous, but I, none of them, I don't remember any of them being appalling. Um, and if you're a big fan of the Lilo and Stitch universe, I, I they're worth they're worth having a look at. And the Lilo and Stitch TV series was amazing. And all 65 <laughs> episodes are on Disney Plus, and I'll probably check some out because I think like every episode is like a new... Um, one of like Stitch's cousins, like he's experiment six two six, which means that there's six hundred and twenty five before him, um, and then like each episode kind of introduces a different one, and, and they're really really fun, um, and they were really popular, and people are still angry that that show was canceled because Disney has a tendency, um, for their animated series to kind of cancel at the sixty fifth episode, kind of regardless of success, um, and so people are still bitter about it. I think that I think I saw a couple of petitions floating around. I don't know how those are going. You never know. Um, and there are plans for a live action remake to go straight to Disney Plus. I can't even fathom why they would do that. Well, I can. That's not true. I can't even fathom <sighs> why anyone would want that. Um and I have nothing else to say and I refuse to say any more words about it except it is apparently <laughs> coming at some point. I will say that I don't want it. Um and once again, Disney, I implore you to stop. 
uh, making We're begging <laughs> live you. action remakes. <laughs> <sighs> One day they'll listen to us and uh, we will feel satisfied in knowing that we have done a, a good thing in this world. But it's just until a then... it's a story that is so suited for. I mean, they all are really, but this is a story that is suited so much for animation. Like something like mm-hmm. Hercules or maybe like a Tarzan. Like those, you know, the those. Well, Tarzan has its foundations, really, in, in kind of live-action films and stuff in, in the early days. Um, and those I can see maybe translating kind of okay. Probably not, but maybe. Um, there's some that I can see, but Lilo and Stitch is, is, is at the very, very low. If I was to rank all of them in terms of, like, what might work, it's probably pretty close to the bottom. I, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want it, and I don't need it. Um, okay, let's let's end on a slightly well, a slightly more positive note, but in our sort of wrap up of the of the four themes. Um so do you wanna take us through those? Yeah, uh, this one's a bit well, it ha- I would say it has two of them pretty strongly. Um sidekicks, mm. not really. I mean I don't think that like I guess David is probably as close to a sidekick as you can get because his whole <laughs> kind of thing is to help Nani. Um, and mm. then therefore their family, but I don't think anyone is really like a proper sidekick in this. Um, man in nature is is pretty central. We get aliens, I believe, for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, when else could they have been? This is only like the second film that like comes anywhere close to like sci-fi. So I'm gonna go out on a limb and say <laughs> this is definitely the first one. Um, we're about to get way more in the next one. Um, and the whole thing is set in space. So you know, I guess technically maybe everyone's an alien. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we'll get, we'll get there next week. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a lot about, um, Hawaii and, and their relationship with, with nature and particularly with water, um, that's really touching and, and really well done in this film. Um, absence of a parent is, is the whole story really is the fact that since mm-hmm. their parents have passed away, um, they have to kind of fend for themselves and, and they're always longing for them. And, and there's a really kind of beautiful thing throughout the film where Lilo has a, a, a photo under her bed of, of her family all together. Um, and then the very last thing you see in the credits before it goes to, you know, kind of black and just listing the credits is um, the photo. Again, we've seen it's kind of been destroyed a little bit um, from the big fight in the house um, when when Jumba and Stitch have their face off. Um, but it's it's mostly intact. And then Stitch has been added in the bottom right corner. And it's such a lovely image to end the film on um, as a way of saying, you know, he's kind of not filled that hole, but kind of... Um, they have a new family and and like in fact he says at the at the end of the film you know he says um this is my family i found i might be i'm gonna try not to cry saying it um this is my family i found it all on my own it's little and broken but it's still good yeah it's still good um and there is it's it i think this is the (laughs) this is like the second i think this is like the first one we've watched that i teared up watching this time um, so mm-hmm. that's something. Maybe there was another one. No, um, Tarzan, I, I, I violently sobbed. Um, <laughs> never mind. Um, but that was in the credits, so I guess I don't know if it counts. Actually, no, I cried multiple times throughout. I'm lying. Um, <laughs> this, this is the, I think this is the second one that I, mm-hmm. I, I got a little... There's been a couple that I've gotten, like, misty-eyed. This was one. There's only one that I've violently um, couldn't even, like, to speak. Anyway, um, enough about my tears. Um, and then there, there is no Disney death, although there is a, there's a brief moment where they think that they've lost Stitch that you might be able to argue is a Disney death. But I don't really think it has any of the elements of a Disney mm. death. It does happen, though, in the second one. So there you go. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, this is oh, just 
what a lovely film. I've had the best time talking <laughs> talking about this, and I am now uh, dreading looking at my list to see where I've placed it because I know that it's probably about to change and in other lists list change updates um after listening back to our own episode on on the emperor's new groove um i ended up moving that up quite significantly in my rankings so mm-hmm. i am very <laughs> very that sounds really bad that like our own enthusiasm for something made me <laughs> made me move it up um but well, I what else would you base it on except about... your own enthusiasm? Well, yeah, this is true. That's exactly what just... you should base it on, is your own excitement for it. It's your list. Yeah, because it's... I do. I love talking about these films so much, and sometimes it's... I, I have a very short memory for... After we've stopped recording, I instantly forget everything that I've said, which is why I listen back to the episode to mm-hmm. make sure I didn't say anything Relatable. stupid. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... I I listen to them and, and enjoy listening to the episodes as well, and it gives me that chance to sort of like reflect and think about the film without having the sort of head on of trying to be a mostly coherent podcast host and offer analysis and that sort of thing. I actually just get to sit and listen and think about my feelings for the film, and that's what made me kind of like reassess. And I've I've done that a bunch of times with when I'm trying to place the films in my list as well that I've upon reflection they've sort of changed and moved around so that list is very fluid and i yeah i don't know where it's gonna place but i think lilo and stitch is gonna move up a little bit uh stay tuned we'll reveal our lists uh when this is all said and done um and i'm very interested to see um particularly how they differ to what we started with originally Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. yeah because i know there's some well one film in particular for you that has climbed dramatically uh i think anyone who <laughs> no one could possibly guess episode... <laughs> from me mentioning it every episode except this one uh, every episode <laughs> <laughs> it might have it something to skill. do with a great mouse who could say it may it may who is possibly uh some kind of sleuth uh, there may be so... a rat again as well. yeah who knows there's no way of knowing the greatest uh, criminal mind. Yes. Okay. <laughs> before, the world's greatest. <laughs> before we make this uh, another chance to uh, stand, Great Mouse Detective, um, <laughs> we, of course, <laughs> we of course want to thank our amazing Patreons um, who support uh, Jump Cut, and they are Chris Wilson, Let There Be Light Productions, Zoe Baines, Daryl Griffiths, Sam Luck, Orla Smith, Peter Hodgkin, Andy Meekin, Fabiana Rosas. Hamish Calvert, Martin Richmond, Manuel Bento, and Per Morton. So a big thank you to those guys and to all of our other Patreons as well. You can find out how to become a Patreon on JumpCut's website and look at the different tiers you can give out, starting from as little as a pound and going up to uh, £10, I think, or even a custom amount. Uh, Whatever you are able to give is very much appreciated. Um, So do go and check that out. And Barry, I, I... have gushed about this film so much and about the wonderful time that we have had uh, together <laughs> talking about it but just my heartfelt thanks once again for um a great conversation and for uh yeah for for making me fall in love with this film even more than i did already oh, um, i feel like i'm gonna have to work really really hard over the next couple of months to get you to even like some of them and i i can't wait i mean mm. my my opinion <laughs> change, but i'm i'm excited <laughs> 
to defend some of the most maligned films in, in Disney. Assuming I still feel yeah. that way. I'm excited to find out. <laughs> yeah, it's nervous, I, we've got scared, a... terrified, but excited. <laughs> yeah, we have a wild run coming up, so I'm I'm really looking forward to those. And I think if we can find the enthusiasm and joy for those those films that we have coming up as we have done There's for the no last stopping us. <laughs> if we can then... do <laughs> Then yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. So thank you uh, once again for for being here with me. And um, if you want to let the the good people know where they can find you on Twitter and elsewhere, sure. You can find me on Twitter at b levitt ninety three, uh, and you can find me on Letterbox at uh, b levitt. Yes, indeed. And you can find me on Twitter at sarah buttery, and you can find all of us at jumpcast underscore. You can check out all of our written reviews, features, interviews, news, and more at jumpcutonline.co.uk and go straight to jumpcutonline.co.uk forward slash jumpcast to find out where you can find all of our podcast episodes. The next Jumpcast episode will be dropping on Monday and we'll be back with a brand new Disney episode next Friday. We'll see you then.